Our reading today is from John 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked, it, they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. This is the word of God. Have you ever been stuck? I've been stuck several times. I'd like to tell you about one of those times today. I was a young pastor in Indiana. Any of you guys ever lived in the Midwest? Yeah, all right. Well, there's something. I was a young pastor in, the, in Indiana, a very rural area, and there was an older couple named Rab and Edith who were bedridden, uh, and they had to have 24-hour care, and I would go as their minister to see them ever so often, and this was in the country of Indiana, a very rural area near, near Warren, Indiana, that we lived for four years and just had a great time serving those people. Anyway, I went to see Rab and Edith and talked to both of them. As I said, they're both in bed, and they had a, an Amish girl who took care of them because we were not far from Amish country, and this was one of the things that would often have people would hire help. And so this girl, whose name was Rachel, um, uh, was their full-time caregiver for five days a week and would just live with them and take care of them and do everything they needed for them, and just a really quiet, uh, uh, a sweet girl. I never really paid a lot of attention to her because I was there to see Rab and Edith. And so I went out to my car and began to get in my car, my little Datsun, 1980 th Datsun 310GX, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that I had. And uh, I had made a mistake that a Midwesterner would never make because I was raised here in Arizona. I didn't think about this fact. The mistake that I had made was I had driven in on their gravel driveway, lived on a farm, and I had parked uh, off on the side on the grass, which in Indiana, you know, that area of Indiana, grass is just like weeds, just keep them mowed really low, right? Some of you ever lived in country like that? Just keep them mowed really low, and I had parked in that grass, and I hadn't realized that this was springtime, and the, and the thaw had happened, and the rains had happened a while ago, and does anybody know what happened? My car was, yeah, so I start to go, and immediately I'm going right in the grass. <laughs> I'm stuck in the middle of the grass. Well, this is before cell phones, and before now I was, you know, I was 20, uh, 
probably 27 years old, something like that, uh, as a pastor there. What am I going to do? I'm stuck in this little tiny car. So, and, and Rav and Edith are bedridden. So I go ahead and go on in, and I see young Rachel. And I knew that it would just take a little bit to get me out of this stuckness. I mean, it wasn't a, you know, like being stuck in the middle of the desert somewhere. Just a, just a little bit, you know? Um, so I asked Rachel if she can help me to get out. And she's wearing her, you know, you know what Amish girls look like. She's all dark and uh, all uh, got a black, dark, whatever, dress on, hair in a bun like behind her. And I come out there, and on the way out there, I realize this girl's Amish, even though she's 18, she doesn't know how to drive, does she? <laughs> you know? So there's only one thing that I can do is to ask her to help push me out. So I get in the car because I only need a little bit. Just needed just a little bit. So <laughs> Kim sees it coming already. And uh, so sure enough, she gives me that little nudge in the back, was real grateful, willing to help me to do that, do that. And I get out to thank her, and guess what had happened to Rachel's black frock? It was just, she was just covered <laughs> with but and I was uh, just really hoping you know in the country there are no secrets in the country and I knew that before long everybody would know what the preacher had done to the poor Amish girl who'd come to take care of Rab and Rab and Rab and Edith well that's a funny little story about getting, I got out and I learned my lesson that in the springtime you don't drive on the grass because your heart car might sink into that that's something you know if you've grown up there but you didn't know well it's kind of funny when you get stuck uh, with your car and you can get out okay but I tell you that story because sometimes, you know, we get stuck in different kinds of ways, don't we? We get stuck in our lives. We get stuck in maybe a relationship that we can't fix, and we don't know how to make it better. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but you know, you've got a friendship or a marriage or a child or a parent, and you're just stuck in patterns of behavior, and you, no, you give it more gas, you're just spinning your wheels and creating a mess, right? Or perhaps you get stuck in a habit that consumes you and controls you, that you just can't break. It's a way of acting. It's a way of thinking, a way of responding. It's something that you do that at one time you were able to get in and get out of it, but now you're in a rut and you can't get out. You're stuck. You're stuck. And that's no fun. Or maybe you're stuck in a with a bad attitude or just a bad way of thinking. You're just depressed. You're just gloom and doom. You, you, you can't see a positive future. You want to. You try to, but you've gotten your wheels going. The harder you try, the more the wheels spin and the more mess you create. Something about your attitude is just terrible and you can't get... Or maybe you're in a bad financial mess or a bad financial state and you're just... There's no way out. The, for deeper, the, the more you push, the deeper you'll get. And the there's no decisions that seem like good uh, decisions. Those are some examples of how we get stuck that are no fun at all. They're just no fun at all. Well, in this story, we s encounter Jesus in relationship with a man who's stuck. He's stuck by the side of a pool. He's been there 38 years. He's got a sickness of some sort that's not just physical. We find out later it's not just physical. There's more going on for him, and uh, he's just... There's just no way out for him. So as you think about this story, and you see this man who's stuck somewhat in his life, perhaps you can think about what are some of the ways that I'm stuck and how can Jesus help me get unstuck? This is a one in a series of messages that we're preaching through the Gospel of John. 
and and uh, we're just calling it meeting Jesus because each of us needs to encounter Jesus. When you're thinking about Christianity, you're not thinking simply about a system of ethics or of ideas that you give a mental assent to. You're thinking about a system of faith which has to do with a relationship with a person whose name is Jesus, regarding whom you must have a response and with whom you have a growing, healthy relationship. So I just want to be very simple, simple and practical this morning as we think about this text. How, what can we learn from this man about how we can get unstuck in the midst of our stuckness? And there are five things that I think you can do, and, I'll just, uh, be, and we'll see them as we, look at this, as, as we look at this text together. The first thing that we need to do, and you can jot this down in your message notes if you like, is we need to desire to be well. Desire to be well. Now, you might think this is an obvious thing, but the truth is it's not very obvious to this story, and it's really not obvious even to our lives, because believe it or not, we can become a friend to our rut. We can become a friend to our relationship, even though we complain about it, gripe about it, wish it weren't the same all the time. We can have developed a lifestyle which depends on that relationship being the way that it is. We can get stuck in our rut. How do we see this in this story? We see it in Jesus' penetrating question to this man in the sixth verse. He sees him there by the side of the road. He discovers that he's been there for a long time, and uh, he asks him this simple question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Well, what's the answer to the question, do you want to be healed? This, the most obvious answer is, well, yes, of course. How does the man answer the question? He doesn't say yes. He doesn't say, of course. He gives his excuse right away. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. He's got the speech already made up. I've got no one to put me in the pool when the water's stirred up. Well, I go and someone gets down there before me. It's a haunting question. Wasn't it obvious that he wanted to be? Well, after all, he'd been lying by that pool for 38 years. And yet, what does this mean when Jesus asks him the question, do you want to be well? He realized this man had become accustomed to his malady. He complained about it, but it had become his identity. I'm the guy by the pool. I'm the pool boy. <laughs> I'm the pool guy. That's me. I hate it. It's my life. Don't mess with it, right? Now, that seems like why would that be the case? And yet, if you're really honest with yourself, there are times when we are just like that guy. We don't like the way we act in our relationship, and yet we don't want to stop doing it, do we? If only they would change, they would be fine, right? No, we just get caught up in that behavior. How many times have you found yourself in the morning making decisions about what you would not do later in the day, only to find yourself doing that very thing later in the day? I won't react like that anymore. And yet, there you go, the trigger happens. We become... Uh, comfortable, because the man did not even answer Jesus' question. We complain, for example, about our bad relationship, but we become rather comfortable. Do we want to be well? Really, do I want to be well? Or we have a, a bad habit, and, and, and we, we, we know it's hurting us. We know it's hurting other people. We know it's not the person we want to be. And yet, you ever see the Lord of the Rings? And you see Frodo and Bilbo and Gollum 
what did all those three guys have in common? They all had had a ring, a ring of power, which gave them something and destroyed their life at the same time. Remember in that story? You've seen the movie? Hopefully you read the books. They're better. And, you know, whether it's Gollum or Bilbo or Frodo, none of them had, the only one who really gave up that ring willingly was Bilbo, right? Yeah. Why? Because even though it began to hurt them and control them, they couldn't let go. Yeah, we're that way with regard to some of our bad habits or even the way we think about things. You know, uh, uh, you know I, I have a thousand examples, but there's no need to get into details, right? I mean, even uh, I tend to procrastinate. I, I'm, I'm, I'm procrastinating about even telling you this right now. And I hate it, but I do it all the time. You see? There's something that it feeds for me. And you know what it feeds for me is if I put it off till just beyond the last possible second, I can give it to you and say, well, it's, it's the best I could do under the circumstances, right? I, it's not really perfect yet, Janice. Do, do any of you know what I'm talking about? Because I can't just say, here's, you see, it feeds that for me. It gives me a chance to do something without having the responsibility for what I did because obviously there were extenuating services. I had no time. The printer went out, you know. <laughs> Whatever happened, you see. Do you want to be what? We've got to desire health. That's what we're getting at. We've got to desire it. This man was a friend to his illness. It had become his identity. You know, we, we don't like our financial mess. We don't like the fact we're always in debt. We don't like the fact that we're always spending beyond our means. I'm going to change. And then, oh boy, right? We don't like the way that we eat. We're eating all bad stuff. We're eating fast food way too much. But then, you know, we're just running a little late today, right? Not enough time to cook a real meal. Y'all, whatever it is, you see, we've got to desire change before change happens. This man was stuck in the cycle, all right? That's the first thing. Desire to be well. Number two, stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. Jesus says, do you want to be well? The man says, well, you see what he says. It's, 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 Sir, I have, no one to, he didn't, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water's stirred up. And while I'm going down, another steps in before me. You see, no, it's not my fault I'm in this condition. It's not my fault I'm this way. It's someone else's fault. It's all that, you see, we're all full of excuses. Why are we so eager to have an excuse? Because if I have an excuse, I don't have responsibility. And what I don't want is responsibility. The truth is I hand that project in too late, not, not because my computer went bad, not, but because I made choices, you see? Uh, how many times have you been planning your excuse? How many of you have ever done this? <laughs> No, I got it. I'll run out of time. I'm not care. You you go past. You're going a little fast, right? Down the speed limit. You're going down the speed limit, and uh, and you're thinking of your excuse, just in case you get picked up. Have you ever done this? You know, and and, and the thing is sinister about this. If you think about, it, there are times when you really think, you really had yourself convinced that you didn't know, right? You know what I'm saying? You didn't know. I, I didn't see it. Well, I did see it. How can I know I didn't see it? I'm thinking about it. It hasn't even happened yet, you see? We're so quick to do that. Why? It makes me a victim, and a victim is not responsibility. If I have no responsibility for the way things are, then I have no responsibility to change. We do this all the time. I've talked to husbands who say, you know, it was inevitable I'd be a bad husband. Look at the family I grew up in. I never learned. 
I never had a dad, so I don't know how to be a dad. It's someone else's fault. We're making excuses. If only my husband wasn't, or it's all his fault, or, or we say, oh, we were married too young, or for all the wrong reasons. You see, all these things are excuses, um, or a bad habit. You know, boy, when I, how, what else am I going to do when I go out for business? They all want to go to those places, and if I don't go to those places, I can't do the business with them, so I can't help it. I'm stuck. It's not my fault, right? Yeah, we're full of that. Oh, it's just too easy. Or let's say, for example, I have a bad attitude, a bad way of thinking. You know, I, you know it's not my fault I have a, I, that I'm uh, always depressed. It's her fault because she always puts me in a bad mood. He always puts me in a bad mood, you see? Or my, bo- my job is just so terrible. That's why I have such a stinking attitude. Or if only I had a better job, I wouldn't be always using my credit card. Yeah, we're full of excuses. We think of them easily, don't we? So we've got to stop making excuses, okay? Number three. Refuse quick fixes. Refuse quick fixes. This is hinted at in here in the seventh verse. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Okay? This is rather obscure, but what apparently was going on here is that this pool by Bethesda, which, by the way, they've excavated, and they can still find the remains of it, these five porticos in this area there, um, that it was probably a, a, a mineral spring down below that was spurred up every so often. And there was the belief that maybe an, that, that spurting up was an angel troubling the water. And if you got in there quick first, you see. And we all know about the value of healing water, right? The people have moved to Arizona for healing water. The springs that are over here on the way to Wickenburg, right? You've seen those places. Um, and, uh, and even pagans had this belief that maybe somehow uh, the, the gods would trouble the water. They might get in. And, uh, so this man was looking for a quick fix to his problem, right? And we often look for quick fixes, too. His quick fix was the magic, magic pool. It wasn't very quick. It had been 38 years, but that was his way, you know. What are our quick fixes? Oh, my relationship's not going well. Well, obviously, I need another one. Just throw it away. Find another one, right? <laughs> or I'll just run away or isolate or separate or, or look for some kind of good feeling somewhere to make me feel better about my bad relationship, right? Or I got a bad habit, so I, you know, I... I uh, I, I'm not eating well, so of course I have to buy the new, the greatest thing that's on television for weight loss. That's a, whether it's a diet or an exercise tool, right? I, you know, you'd think we would know, but we don't. You know, we're going to see a lot of that after the holidays. You'll start to see the exercise things. Why? Because people make resolutions, right? And they think if they just get the bottom bouncer, whatever they want to get, they'll the tummy tucker, whatever they're going to get, that'll make them better with no trouble at all. You know, uh, all right. Or I've got a bad attitude, so I just need a little bit of, uh, the, these, uh, this medicine will help me a little bit, or this will, you know, whatever kind of escape that I need, or a bad, bad financial state. You know, the answer to being in debt is, of course, to borrow more money, right? <laughs> if we just borrow from here, you see, we've got to refuse those quick fixes. Yeah, it's painful, all right? Yeah, Jesus asks us that question. Will you let go of those quick fixes? Will you desire to be well, you know? Um, uh, will you refuse those quick fixes? Will you stop making excuses? And number four, deal with root issues. Deal with root issues. There's an interesting thing that happens here in the fourth verse. Jesus heals him, and then he goes up in the uh, 14th verse. It says, Jesus found him in the temple and said, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Oh, this is a odd. Jesus knew that there was more going on in his life than just that physical condition. And in this case, whatever his ailment was, um, 
whatever his ailment was, had some personal bad choices at the root of it. Okay? Now, let me make sure that I say this clearly. It is not true that every sickness is because of our own sin or anything that we've done wrong. John chapter 9 makes that clear. Just a few chapters later, John makes it clear that uh, it's wrong to assume that it's your fault you got sick. You did something bad to deserve. That's wrong. But in this case, Jesus was aware that there was something underneath the surface of this man's life. You know, in the same way that I gave the illustration a little bit ago about the thing underneath the surface of why we always do things beyond the last minute because we don't accept responsibility for not making something less quite perfect. That's the perfectionism which leads to procrastination. That's underneath that. What is it that makes you unwilling to pay the price for intimacy in your relationship with your husband, with your wife? What is it underneath the surface of that? What kind of need is that bad habit meeting for you underneath the surface? What comfort does it give to you, which used to be helpful, but now it's hurtful and harmful to you? What's underneath the surface? You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus knew that there was a spiritual component beneath this man's physical ailment, and for us, often there are. You may be worse to, maybe I'm still angry at my parents for the poor way they raised me, and that's why I have such a hard time in my marriage, you see. That's the root cause. Or maybe I'm still holding bitterness at my previous spouse's failures to me, and that's why I'm having a hard time really um, giving to this person. Maybe the abandonment of my father makes me unworthy, feel unworthy of intimacy. You're probably going to let me down. Maybe my poor self-esteem leads me to go for the quick fix of drugs or other feel-good things. You see, what's underneath the surface? Underneath the surface. Jesus asks us, look, underneath. What's underneath all of that? He says, this guy, stop saying it. It'll get worse for you. Okay? And then the fifth thing and the best thing about this is, after these four, respond to Jesus' word. Respond to Jesus' word. The thing that's really great and yet frustrating about this story is that this guy is a terrible example of how to get well. He's got everything wrong with him. In the previous story, you have a great example. So if you were here last week, you may recall, there's Jesus is coming into Cana of Galilee. A man comes all the way from Capernaum. This is at the end of the fourth chapter. He said, sir, please come and heal my son so he'll get well. His son is on the point of death. He had traveled many miles to find Jesus. Jesus was far away. Jesus says to him, your son is well. Go. His son's miles away. And the man took Jesus at his word. You can look it up there in the end of the fourth chapter. And went back and found that his, Jesus, that his son had become to recover at one o'clock in the afternoon, the very time that Jesus had told him. He had a lot of faith. He's a great example. A guy that took the initiative, came and asked on behalf of his son. He asked Jesus to come to him. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to come, but I will take care of it from long distance, right? He's well. He believed him. He went off. and did. That's what we want. This guy is the exact opposite in every way. He didn't come to Jesus. In fact, he didn't even look for healing. He didn't even really seem to want the healing. He just wanted to complain. And he and to sit by his friends by the pool in this spot that he'd been at every year, right? That was his identity. That was who he was. He did nothing right in this story, but he got healed. The one thing he did is he responded to Jesus' word. Jesus said to him in that 8th and ninth verse, Get up. Take your bed and walk. At once the man was healed and he 
took up his bed and walked. He did nothing. Jesus did everything. He simply responded to his word. That's what's beautiful about this. Don't take these four points that I've given to you before as like bashing from the pulpit. Oh, you gotta, you don't want to be well, you gotta try to be well. You know, you're, you're looking for quick things. Stop. No, that just describes who we are lots of times, right? It's just the way we are. We're just messed up. We're lying by the pool. We're stuck in the rut. We're not getting anywhere. But Jesus comes to us and says to us, get up. And the man who had really no faith was able simply to respond to Jesus' word. That's the story of the gospel, friends. That's the story of what Jesus has done for us. You and I could never manufacture enough faith to solve all of our problems. Christianity is not another self-help story that you come in and get five steps to fix your life. You know, they're lame excuses, right? Christianity is about what Jesus has done, and you simply grasp to what Jesus has done. And some of you think are thinking right now, oh, he's talking to those people who don't, haven't yet accepted Christ as their Savior, and he's trying to help them do that. Well, yes, of course I'm doing that. But I'm talking to all the rest of us, too, because we're always like that guy. It's always because of what Jesus has done for us. It's always a matter of responding in faith to what he has done, of grasping hold of what God has done for us. Uh, yeah, there was, <laughs> this is just such a fascinating story. He just listened to Jesus' word, and he was willing, despite all the problems that he had, despite how much it looked like this story was not going to go anywhere, he was able to simply respond to Jesus' word. And you are able to. If you've not placed your faith in Christ, you can do that. Oh, yeah, it means you got to get up. <laughs> you got to change. You got to you know, all those things. But he can give you the desire to be well. He can give you the ability to let go of your excuses. He can give you the ability to stop looking after quick fixes. He can give you the ability to do all and to explore those root causes. He can do all that if you're just willing to take him at his word. The one thing that's true about these two stories, the healing of the nobleman's son in John 4 and the healing of the man by the pool, they both speak about Jesus' word and the response to the word. The other guy had more faith. You know, he had come and all those things, but ultimately he had to respond to Jesus' word and do it. This guy too, the one characteristic, there are two characteristics between, that are similar between those. The first is each of them had a problem they couldn't fix. They were not going to fix this problem. Each of them were fixed because of their obedience to Jesus' word. That's it. Everything else was different, but those two things are the same. And each of you, in your marriage, in your uh, personal life, in your prayer life, in your social life, in your work life, you have problems that you can't fix. But you can respond to Jesus' word. So as we close our time together this morning, I trust that you will respond to Jesus' word in your life. I have another story about being stuck. I was a young youth pastor a few years before this time, music, music and youth pastor in California, and I had connections in Arizona, so I had taken a, a band of high, uh, high school um, choir for a tour. You know, this was a fun thing. I had 35 kids. We went on this tour at an old church bus. You know how old church buses are. This is back a long time ago when I was young. And I had gotten to Needles all the way from Pismo Beach, a long drive. To Needles, and when I pulled in to stop at Needles, California, 
the clutch went out of my bus. I was only 60 miles away from uh, Kingman, which was our destination for the night. And, uh, and now what am I going to do? I'm stuck on a bus. We've got a concert that evening. Uh, 35 kids, you know, the things you do. You know, I didn't... So I'm talking to this, this truck stop or kind of place where I stopped, and, and they said, well, you know, you can drive the bus without a clutch if we get really careful. And I said, well, sure, I can do that. And just when you get to Kingman, now you're in your destination, get it fixed there, okay? So I think, okay, I started. You know how you can do. You can, especially with these old buses, you know, <laughs> you kind of get going. And I got all the way to fourth gear or third gear, however many there were. And I'm just cruising on the way, feeling just kind of like this is, I don't want to call it a miracle, but this is great. I'm on my way to Kingman. And I used to live in that area, and when I lived there, the way into Kingman on I-40 was different. It had changed since I had been there. They had built a huge bypass to Kingman, and a, and a large incline that would take you up, not this way that I remembered. So I'm coming up towards Kingman, after having traveled about 58, 59 miles or so, 60 miles even, and I'm starting to uh, climb a hill. Now I've got a problem. I'm in fourth gear, and my exit is up there. I don't know. Some of you may know what to do, but I'm just going. And sure, and I think, well, what, I, I, how do you downshift without a clutch, you know? And I'm not going to make it in fourth gear or third gear, whatever it was. And so sure enough, I get to the downshift, and what do I do? It dies. You know, it dies. And I was there on this. I was off to the side a little bit, but it dies. And I've got 35 kids in the, in the bus, and the bus has died, and I've got no clutch, and it's on an incline, right? And I've got, oh, one more thing. I've got an emergency brake that doesn't work. <laughs> you know? I'm thinking, what am I going to do? What am I? I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Now, nowadays, I, I know what to do. Of course, I didn't have a phone back then, but I know. What, but at that point, I'm thinking, you know, I'm 25 years old. I, you know, I was less than 20. I left there when I was 25, so 24 years old, 23 years old. And uh, so I say to the kids, everybody out of the bus. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, now, if I start this bus, um, how can I open the door in case it rolls? Because if it rolls backwards, what am I, what's going to happen? Well, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> I mean, and I'm on the side of a hill, and I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm truly contemplating, should I do this? If this bus starts to roll, will I be able to jump out and let the bus go? And I'm stuck and not knowing what to do and really wondering. I can't believe I was really wondering, but as God is my witness, I was considering doing this thing. When all of a sudden a guy stops, a guy who just saw us on the side of the road, he says, looks like you could use some help. <laughs> I didn't say, well, I've been here 38 years, and then the guy, and they're trying to travel the pool, they can't get it, you know. <laughs> no, I said, yes. <laughs> it was an angel from heaven for me. He got behind his big old truck and pushed me up over, you know, and pushed me up, put everybody in the bus, you know, pushed us up over and took us down. There's a truck stop right there. We left our truck there, our bus there. The, how, the church where we were singing at that night, we had more people in our choir than came to watch us play that night, right? Literally. But they had a bus. And we left our bus there for work. We took their bus for the rest of our tour, went all the way back home in their bus, and a week later I came back. And I am so thankful for this angel of a guy. He has no idea what idiocy he may have saved me from. Because I didn't tell anybody that story until I was far enough removed from it. Well, you know, here we are. We're stuck. 
I want to invite you. Respond to Jesus' word. He's coming up behind you, and he's saying, hey, I'll help. Will you respond to my word? And so I want to ask you as we close our time, please respond to Jesus' word. No more lame excuses. Let's have prayer. Father, we've you know, laughed a little bit about this story, but truthfully, it's a, it's a great story because it really is us. We're not the guy with a lot of faith. We're not the guy who figures it out. or We're kind of the guy, the gal that's stuck. And we tend to make excuses and look for quick fixes and kind of let that identity define us. And Boy, the way you come to us, unexpected and maybe even uninvited, and say, you know, get up. You're well. I'll do what needs to be done. All you need to do is respond. Father, I pray first of all for the persons among us today who've never really trusted in Jesus, that they would just cling with what little faith they have. Say, yes, Jesus. Forgive me. Make me yours. I want to follow you. And then others of us, Father, maybe who have known you, help us not to think this is just about that story, but that this is about our story. It's always about you. It's always about what you have done for us. May we respond in faith to you. Let us let go of the ring that destroys us. Let us respond to your word. You're whole. You're well. You're forgiven. You are free. Get up and carry your mat. Live a new way. Be the new creation I died to let you be. In Jesus' name I pray.